It was a rainy day <clears throat> on August 21st, 1951, during the Korean War. The 11th Republic of Korea Army Division engaged in battle against a hostile force. They were significantly overwhelmed and outnumbered by the opposition. There were low-hanging clouds, so the 11th Division was unable to receive air support the commanding general of the 11th Division was a man named Junduk Oh. And as his troops were falling back in the midst of battle, Junduk Oh displayed courage and bravery. He traveled over rugged, mountainous terrain, through enemy-infiltrated areas. And when he arrived at the attacking battalion's observation post, he established a new perimeter, evacuated those who were wounded, and he inspired his command to contain the opposition to where eventually the opposition was overcome and the objective was secure. Jundugo was awarded a silver star by the United States for his bravery and leadership, a decoration given for gallantry in action. Here are a few pictures of Jundugo. Junduko was a brave man indeed, and he was an exceptional leader, and he was my grandfather. My grandfather passed long before I was born. I never met him. I never have seen him. But he's still my grandfather, and we're still a part of the same family, and I'm honored to be related to a man of such honor and esteem. Today, we're going to be just talking about God's family. All of us have a heavenly father who we can't see, but exists and loves us dearly. When we put our trust in him, we become his child, a son or daughter of the most high and the creator of the entire universe. Our sins are completely forgiven. We are clothed with the righteousness of Christ and we are given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places as Ephesians says. More than this, we become a royal priesthood in God's eyes. We are a child of the king of kings. We are royalty. We become a people belonging solely to God, of whom he says, you are mine. We are brought into God's household, and we become a part of God's family. And in this family, we're not related by blood, but instead we share a common faith in the son of God who shed his blood because of his love and out of his deep grace. During Christmas time, we celebrate the birth of Jesus. And to do that, we have lots of traditions in time with our family. And you know, family can be the source of great joy, but it can also be the source of great pain. There are lots of traditions that we have with our family. And, you know, there's things that we might love about our family of origin, but there's also things that maybe we can't stand about our family of origin. When I was about 10 or 11 years old, my dad came up to me one day and he was like, hey, John, we're going to go get a haircut. So I was like, okay. So I got in my dad's car and we drove off. But instead of arriving at a barbershop or a salon, we arrived at this house. And the house belonged to this lady who was a friend of my dad's. And my dad explained to me, hey, John, 
today this lady's going to give you a haircut at her house. I was like, okay, cool. So the lady worked on my hair, and, you know, I just sat there keeping to myself, not without a care in the world. I probably munched on a few snacks as the lady worked on my hair. My dad and I were there for a while, and then after my haircut was done, we drove off, and we got home, and I looked in the mirror, and I was shocked because instead of giving me a haircut, the lady had given me a perm. I looked at my dad. I was like, what is this? I was so upset, and I started crying so hard. I was just a little boy. I just wanted to have normal hair, and then I turned into the most overdramatic 10-year-old boy. I was like, why? No, my life is over. I look like Big Bird. I was so upset, and I was crying so hard. And meanwhile, my dad was in the corner laughing even harder because he thought my perm looked so cute. And he thought my reaction was even cuter. Every time I bring up this memory with my dad, he still gets a kick out of it. And I'm like, dude, that was so cruel. (laughs) I love my dad, though. I have an amazing dad and amazing parents. And, you know, I'm so grateful for the love that they've shown me in my two brothers. I have an older brother named Josh and a younger brother named Jonathan. Any middle children in the house? Yeah, what's up? What's up? I love being a middle child. People are like, oh, you're a middle child. I'm like, dude, it's great. But my parents' love has been the most real and tangible expression of God's love that I've ever experienced in my life. But even though my parents raised me in in love and showed me God's love throughout my life, I actually didn't become a believer until my freshman year of college at LSU. I've shared my spiritual journey with you all here at Gateway South before. One day I was eating a meal with one of my friends, and he was a Christian, and he explained to me that, you know, John, if you just invited Jesus into your life. You could have a relationship with him. And I was like, oh, okay, That's, that sounds easy. That sounds cool. I, I think I want that. I'll try that. So I basically went back to my dorm room, got on my knees in the middle of my dorm room and made a prayer where I invited Jesus into my life and everything changed. I changed dramatically. God transformed me. He really did a number on me too because I was a kid who was a complete knucklehead before. And God changed this kid who was a complete knucklehead to someone who was still a knucklehead, but who loves Jesus. But you know, something happened. Something amazing happened after that in addition to the transformation that God helped me experience because Ever since that night in my dorm room, my freshman year of college, and I invited Jesus into my life, God has led me on an amazing journey that I never thought that I'd experience in my wildest dreams, a journey that's included moving to New York City when I was just 20 years old by myself, and then a few years later, moving to the other coast, to Los Angeles, where I lived for a few years, and then ultimately in 2019, moving here to Austin, Texas. And in addition to this amazing journey, God blessed me in another way after he came into my life. And that was by helping me become a part of an amazing global family, the family of God. A family that's beautiful, dynamic, diverse, spiritual. And I've developed relationships with sisters and brothers in Christ who I never thought I would have met 
otherwise. Last week, we looked at how because of Jesus, we are never alone. We can have a very real and vibrant relationship with God. Today, we're looking at when you say yes to Jesus, you become a child of God, a child of the King of Kings. And you know what? God has a big and beautiful family. You are part of this global family. You have brothers and sisters who look nothing like you, don't know the same language, grew up in a different country, yet you have the most important thing in common. You root for the LSU fighting tigers. No, I'm just kidding. It's Jesus. Today, we're gonna look at how in this new family, we become fully alive as we take off the old and put on the new and help others do the same. What has been your spiritual journey? Did you grow up in a context of faith or were your parents not spiritual at all? Or were they spiritual, but kind of all over the place? Did you grow up among people who said they had faith, but how they lived made faith seem meaningless? Did you wander away from your parents' faith? Have you wandered away from your own faith? No matter where you have been or where you are now, the beauty is that you can start or restart a relationship with God today. This is an invitation for all of us. Romans 10, 13 says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And Romans 10, 9 says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. God's family is a family we get to choose. You can decide if you want God to become your heavenly father. You may not want to choose it because of this idea of having weird uncles or crazy cousins. And, you know, there are some that are in this family or say that they're in this family, but in reality, they aren't. For example, those people for whom Christianity is more of a religious or cultural or political thing. In our Q&A weekend a couple weekends ago, Lisa Jacob from our Pflugerville campus, she answered a question about how, you know, why are, all there, why are there all these evil things that Christians have done throughout history? And, you know, she encouraged us not to allow the broken people to get in the way of how we see a perfect God, because in its essence, true Christianity is about a relationship with God that transforms us and brings transformation through us. God's family is a wonderful family indeed, but this family is not perfect. This family still does have issues. Next week, we're going to talk about how families are messy. We're going to hear a message called Messy Family and how to restore relationships that have been broken. But today, we're going to look at how God is inviting us to be a part of his family, of a new family, a family that shares the same father, a transformed heart. When you follow Jesus, when you say yes to Jesus, You were made fully alive in God's family. And to help us understand this, we're going to take a look today at the book of Colossians. Colossians was written by the apostle Paul. And Paul, if you don't know, he was a former Pharisee who used to persecute, arrest, and imprison, and even kill Christians. But Paul had this crazy encounter one day where he saw the living God, where he saw Jesus. And this miraculous encounter changed him so much that get this, Paul started to tell others that Jesus was God, that Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah. And then you know what happened after that? The religious leaders started to persecute him. They arrested him, imprisoned him, and even killed 
him. Paul's letter to the Colossians is different from his other letters because Paul didn't start the Colossian church, but the pastor of the Colossian church, his name is Epaphras, he told Paul about some of the struggles that the Colossian church was having. You see, there were people in this church who were slipping back into their old pagan lifestyles and others were slipping back into more religious mindsets because the early church was made up of people of different religious and ethnic backgrounds. And as a result, they would slip back into the way they were brought up instead of operating the way the new family of God was to operate and relate to each other. In Colossians 3, 1 through 3, Paul says, since you were raised from the dead with Christ, aim at what is in heaven. Your old sinful life has died and your new life is kept with Christ in God. Christ who is your life or Christ is your life. And when he comes again, you will share in his glory. When we put our, our trust in Jesus, something supernatural happens in the spiritual realm. All of us, we were once physically alive, but spiritually dead, but Jesus makes us alive. You become a new creation, as it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Paul says we have been raised with Christ. Therefore, he encourages us to aim at what is in heaven. When we read the word heaven, I want to encourage you to think about the place, not just where we go when we die, but the place where God's presence is. In other words, we can experience heaven here on earth, amen? Not only that, we can bring heaven to earth. We can bring heaven to our workplaces, to our families, to our communities that we're in, to the places we go, and to the people that God puts in our life. Baptism is this symbol for spiritual change. When you are submerged in the water, this symbolizes dying to your old self. And when you come out of the water, it represents being raised to a new life in Jesus. And we are now considered in Christ. You can't see it, but you are now in Jesus and Jesus is fully in you. Kind of like you're in one of those inflatable plastic bubbles, you know, a Zorb ball. In other words, in the spiritual world, you look like this. Try going in one of those after a Thanksgiving meal. The, the scriptures say that when you follow Jesus, his spirit comes to live inside of you. And it also says that, get this, Jesus holds you. He holds you. I say that again because it's such a beautiful point. What this means is that nothing can snatch you away from God. You are eternally secure. You are in the Father's hands. Jesus said this about those who believe, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. Did you hear that? When you say yes to Jesus, the father and the son and the spirit, they got you. Nothing, absolutely nothing can snatch you away from their hands. You are now fully alive and you are fully his. And as a result, you can live now in a different way. You are no longer a victim of the darkness. You can live a new life by dying to self and dying to your old life. The same light who came into the world on that first Christmas now lives inside of you. 
And that light can overwhelm the darkness in your life and the darkness in the world through you. You're not only a new creation, but you are a beloved child of the king. Therefore, you can live now according to new family rules because you are now in God's family. You don't have to live the way the world does. You're freed from that. You don't have to fall into that anymore. Colossians 3, 5, it says, so put all evil things out of your life, sexual sinning, doing evil, letting evil thoughts control you, wanting things that are evil and greed. This is really serving a false God which makes God angry. We are children of the light, so we don't have to live in the darkness anymore, y'all. Doing so, it's like giving your allegiance to another false God, to another father. The passage then reminds us that living in the dark, it disappoints our heavenly father and even makes him angry. And remember, it's not a sin to be angry. God's anger is much different from ours. God's anger is patient and loving and sacrificial and grace-giving because he is a holy and a perfect God. The letter continues. In your past evil life, you also did these things, but now also put these things out of your life. Anger, bad temper, doing or saying things to hurt others and using evil words when you talk. Do not lie to each other. You have left your old sinful life in the things you did before. Look, all of us are broken people. None of us are perfect. We all do things that hurt others and hurt ourselves. Many of us, we come from dysfunctional families. But now that you are a member of God's family, you can learn new family dynamics. For example, we can choose forgiveness instead of bitterness. We can choose kindness instead of cruelty when you relate to others. What are some of the things that you learn from your parents that maybe they learn from their parents that are dysfunctional and not really helpful? But the beautiful thing about being in God's family is that it gives us the opportunity to unlearn these things. We need each other to show us what it means to really be in the family of God and walk with Jesus. When I lived in Southern California for a few years, I went to a school called Fuller Seminary where People go to learn and be formed to serve as pastors, missionaries, artists, business people, people who work at NGOs and other kingdom vocations. And people from all around the world enroll in Fuller every year. And whenever I was, and during my time at Fuller, I had the opportunity to meet and develop friendships with people from all around the world, people from Hong Kong, Canada, Korea, China, Kenya, from all over the United States. Two friends in particular were this couple this, from Nepal. Their names were Ebsen and Trefina. They came to Fuller to study, and now they are church planners in, in Hong Kong. There's some pictures of me at the home of Ebsen and Trefina's when they served me some delicious Nepalese food. I went over there and ate all of their food. It was great. And being at Fuller was such a special time for me because it helped me to see how big and diverse and multicultural God's family really is. God's family is made up of broken people who have been healed, but who are still healing. And this family is multi-ethnic. There are no divisions, no prejudices, no classes. We're all part of God's beautiful family. Earlier in the same passage, Paul says this, in the new life, there's no difference between Greeks and Jews, those who are circumcised and those who are not circumcised or people who are foreigners 
and Scythians. There's no difference between slaves and free people, but Christ is in all believers. And Christ is all that is important. In God's family, he includes people from all ethnic and religious backgrounds, a beautiful tapestry, a beautiful mosaic. And when we're in heaven, this is what we are going to see, people from all nations, all tribes, and all tongues. Being circumcised or not being circumcised was based on one's religion. Scythians were considered these very rowdy and cruel people, but God includes in his family even people with a checkered and wild past. No perfect people allowed, yo. Come as you are. That's why we say these things at Gateway. God's family includes different people from different socioeconomic backgrounds, people you might not usually like, but this is the beauty of God's family. The last line says, but Christ is in all believers. We're called to love all believers because Christ is also in them. Christ is in us. His spirit guides and empowers us, and we are to love all people, even those without faith. Why? Because every single human being on this planet was made in the image of God. Jesus gave his life for all, even if not all have said yes to Jesus. For me, when I said yes to Jesus my freshman year at LSU and and then yes to go to New York City at age 20 and then yes to move to Los Angeles at age 26 and then yes to move to Austin, Texas at 33, this allowed me to continue to meet people who are part of God's beautiful multi-ethnic grace-giving family from all around the world. I've had the chance to be a part of a vibrant college and young adult church right in the heart of New York City. In Long Beach, California, I went to an inner city church called Fountain of Life Covenant Church, where I saw one of the most diverse communities I've ever seen. At Fountain of Life Church, or FOL as we used to call it, I used to serve in their children's ministry from time to time. The children's ministry was called Crosswalk, and I used to serve Um, and teach elementary students from time to time, teach them Bible lessons or Sunday school lessons. And, you know, it was such a blessing to, to be amongst these kids. They were so different from me, children from all different ethnic backgrounds. I was so different from them being from, from Louisiana. And I don't know if you know this, but people in Southern California, they don't say the word y'all, like not everybody there says that word. We here as, as Texans and Southerners, we use that word all the time, right? I, as someone from Baton Rouge, I say y'all probably more than I, I often realize. But a lot of people in Southern California actually don't use that word y'all. So every time I taught these elementary students and I stood in front of the class and I would say the word y'all, they would think it was so funny. Every time I said the word y'all, to the point where every time I said the word y'all, they would mock me and they would repeat it out loud. I'd be like, y'all, and they'd be like, y'all, 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 y'all. I'd be like, stop that. They'd be like, y'all, y'all, y'all. They're like, Mr. John, you talk funny. I was like, hey, you talk funny. I love those kids though. When we grow to love people from all around the world, we catch more of a glimpse of heaven on earth. What are some of the things? that you need to unlearn? Who are those that you might look down on? What are some of the behaviors that used to be bad habits for you, but now they're just how you live your life? What are some of the mindsets that you know they're not from God? They're not 
healthy. They don't serve you. But they're your default view of not only the world, but of yourself and how you make decisions in life. God's family, though, can help us with these things. Do you have people in your life who are part of God's family that can encourage you, that can speak truth about who you are in the Lord and show you what it's like to be a part of the family of God? Are you letting God's family speak to you? Do you have a community group or a life group that you're a part of? Are you serving besides others? So how do we live as people who are a part of God's family now? And how do we get rid of the dysfunction from our lives that we grew up with or from our past and live as those who are now in God's family? Well, in God's family, you not only take off the old, but you put on the new. It's not just about stopping doing those things that are destructive. It's about doing those things that are constructive, that are healthy and life-giving. Continuing on in Colossians, Paul says, you have begun to live the new life in which you are being made new and are becoming like the one who made you. This new life brings you the true knowledge of God. You are being made new. You are becoming like the one who made you. Do you want to have true knowledge of God? Let God make you new, Paul says. Trust him, surrender to him. When you choose to follow Jesus, he forgives us of the past and he makes us new and he continues to make us new all throughout our lives, even if we might struggle to live in this new way. God has chosen you and made you his holy people. He loves you. Colossians continues on. You are loved by God. You were chosen by God. And this is what should motivate us. We now have purpose from God. We now have meaning and out of gratitude for the grace and the love and the purpose that God has now given us, we should want to change. We should want to please God now above all others in our lives. We want to live a new life now because we are in a new family. So what are the family dynamics of God's family? Continuing on, Paul says, so you should always clothe yourselves with mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive each other. If someone does wrong to you, forgive that person because the Lord forgave you. As followers of Jesus and those who are in God's family, we should strive, y'all, to be the most merciful and kind and humble and patient and forgiving people on this planet. Some of these I'm okay at, but you know, there's a lot of these that I'm really bad at, like patience and being merciful, especially when I'm driving. Um, have you ever had someone cut you off? Yeah, all of us, right? I hear a few people laughing. And you know, it's funny because sometimes after someone cuts you off, things just work out later on to where you just, you happen to pass by that car, you know? Well, like the best thing to do, most people would probably just like, if you were ever to pass by that car who cut you off, you would just pass by, you would just drive off. But me, like sometimes I pass by that car and I like quickly give them the death stare. I'm like, <laughs> then I drive off. Or you know, if like someone cuts you off and things just work out later on where you just happen to pull up next to that car at the next stoplight, right? Well, like, I, you know, I'll be at the stoplight and I'll see the car next to me, you cut me off, and I'll just look over and I'll be like, mm-hmm, shame on you. What would your mama say right now? Yeah, I saw you, mm-hmm. 
They're like, hey, aren't you that pastor from Gateway? I'm like, huh? I'm not good at a lot of these traits, but none of us can embody these traits on our own. But with God's help and God's spirit living inside of us, we can. You know, there are far too many Christians who, whose lives don't actually reflect Jesus. There are people who have been completely forgiven by God, but they have unforgiveness in their hearts towards their spouse, their parents, their coworkers. Bitterness and unforgiveness keep us living in the darkness, y'all. Some of us might think, well, you know, I don't steal, kill, or do anything immoral. That's great. But God is calling us to so much more. God is calling us to be holy and set apart in how we live our lives. People should see the light and love of Jesus emanating through us and the way we treat others. But forgiveness is hard. But what exactly is forgiveness? Psychologists, they generally define forgiveness as a conscious, deliberate decision to release feelings of resentment or vengeance towards a person or a group who has harmed you, regardless of whether they actually deserve your forgiveness. You see, forgiveness doesn't mean forgetting. It doesn't mean condoning or excusing offenses either. The root of the word forgive is the Latin word perdonare, meaning to give completely without reservation. Forgiveness takes courage, and it's a byproduct of love. Our campus pastor, Eric Bryant, he found some great quotes on forgiveness that really highlight and show us the power of forgiveness. For example, Maya Angelou once said, you can't forgive without loving. And I don't mean sentimentality. I don't mean mush. I mean having enough courage to stand up and say, I forgive. I'm finished with it. Or this quote by Ben Greenhall, forgiveness is a sign that the person who has wronged you means more to you than the wrong they have dealt. Dr. Martin Luther King once said, forgiveness does not mean ignoring what has been done or putting a false label on all on an evil act. It means rather that the evil act no longer remains as a barrier to their relationship. Forgiveness is a catalyst, creating the atmosphere necessary for a fresh start and a new beginning. I love that quote. Forgiveness is a catalyst. Isn't that beautiful? We can be trapped by our bitterness and by unforgiveness. We think, you know, we're holding the person back who hurt us. We think we're holding that person hostage to their past, but in reality, they have moved on, and we're the ones who are stuck. We're the ones who are suffering. Forgiveness, though, it opens new doors. Paul Boos once said, forgiveness does not change the past, but it does enlarge the future. Maybe you're in a marriage right now, or a friendship where there's bitterness and unforgiveness, and you know there's this emotional wall between you two. For those of you who are married, Marlene Dietrich said this, once a woman has forgiven her man, she must not reheat his sins for breakfast. <laughs> or this one, a happy marriage is a union of two good forgivers. Or this one by the poet Alexander Pope, to err is human, to forgive divine. We are more like God when we forgive. And who showed us the ultimate expression and example of forgiveness? God's son, Jesus. When Jesus was on that cross and he was dying and he was suffering, he made a prayer. And in that prayer, he said, Father, 
Forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. You know, if you're waiting for that apology before you forgive, you really aren't following the example of Jesus. Who do you need to forgive? And I'm not talking about being okay with unhealthy boundaries, but who do you need to surrender over to Jesus and ask him to help you forgive? Who's the person that you need to entrust their future and their consequences for whatever they did to you to God? Colossians continues, even more than all this, clothe yourself in love. Love is what holds you all together in perfect unity. Let the peace that Christ gives control your thinking because you are all called together in one body to have peace. Always be thankful. Let the teaching of Christ live in you richly. People may hurt us. People will hurt us, but God came for all of us. The son of God was born in a manger. He lived a perfect life. He loved the outcasts of society. He healed the sick. And eventually, he died on a cross. And he rose from the dead so that we could have a relationship with God and have new life in him and become a part of his family. God loves you so much. And he loves those around you so much as well. Let him change you to become who this hurting world needs you to be. We can't do this though without leaning into our faith and without leaning in to each other. You know, sometimes in local churches, Christians can walk around like everything's okay. You know, we put a smile up on our face and, and we can just act like things are going well, right? Without ever disclosing to people the pain or the difficulties that we're going through in our life. Sometimes Christians can even walk around self-righteously. But you know what local churches are really like? They're like hospitals. Because we are all sick. We are all sinful. We are all broken. But because of what Jesus did, we can be refined by God into new people. God can make us into the best version of ourselves and we can be transformed and become who God always created us to be. If you're watching online, I encourage you to join one of our online communities. If you're here in Austin, join us on the weekend at one of our campus services. Join a life group, a community group, a network. Serve with others on a serving team. We can't live out our faith without others in our lives. And finally, we should help others do the same. Use all wisdom to teach and instruct each other by singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Everything you do or say should be done to obey Jesus, your Lord. And in all you do, give thanks to God the Father through Jesus. The way that we live our lives is our way to thank God for the love and the grace and the mercy he has shown us. Next week, we're going to hear a message called Messy Family. People are hard to deal with, right? But here's the thing about God's family. At the end of the day, we need each other. We're going to sing a song. And during this, I want to encourage you just to connect your hearts with God. What does God want you to surrender over to him today? 
Who does God want you to forgive? How does he want you to connect or reconnect with his family? When you say yes to Jesus, you become a part of God's family. In John 1.12, Jesus said this, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. This is who you are and this is your identity now. Gateway South, as you go through these holidays and on this Christmas, if there's one thing you remember, I want you to remember this. You are royalty. You are a daughter or a son of the King of Kings who loved you so much that he came for you on that Christmas day. And you are now a part of God's eternal household and family.